So it's been 11 months, 11 months since the first sermon I preached here. You believe that? Man, time flies. They say the older you get, the faster time moves. I think that's true. It must be getting old because it doesn't seem like 11 months to me, but it's been 11 months since I've been invited to share the ministry of the word with you here in this season of this church's life. To worship with you, to pray with you, to commune with you, to break bread at the table of the Lord, which we wanted to be present here in this series, the body of Christ in this unique way, um, 11 months. Uh, I, I got to thinking about that as I thought about um, what God would have to say to us this morning, and I thought about all the different points along the way. We began back in June of last year. The sermon series was entitled, the first little sermon series I did was entitled Gospel, and we really sought to immerse ourselves in the story of the gospel, seeking to hear the unique story of good news that comes through Mark's telling of the story and Matthew's telling of the story and Luke's and so on and so forth, that we are a gospel people, that the good news of God is something that's announced, but it's something that's happening in us. And I wanted to think about that and remember that this morning as we begin. We did a series of sermons called Radical Hospitality. Anybody remember that? Radical Hospitality, in which we were thinking about how this has always been central, this practice central to the life of God's people, um, that they, they themselves were strangers in a strange land and God welcomed them and gave them a place and identity and a place of belonging and a place of connectedness. And they were called to be people of hospitality, of radical openness to the other and, and finding that they might discover God's presence in surprising places and ways. Yes. And that, that even as uh, the story of Jesus unfolds, that we might see Jesus in surprising places and he even pointed us to those places when he said, I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you've done for me. Radical hospitality. And there was that series that we did in November called Deep Gratitude. Discovering the depths of what it means to live with a deeper sense of gratitude and how that transforms us. It shapes our hearts and minds and transforms us. And, and we shared the season of Advent, a season of anticipation story of the coming of God into the world in the person of Jesus. And then when the calendar turned to a new year back in January, we began this series called A House of Prayer. And we shared 11 sermons, 11, the series was 11 Sundays, 11 sermons long, thinking about a house of prayer and owning the prayer that Jesus, receiving the prayer that Jesus has given his disciples to pray and how that permeates our lives. And last Sunday, we celebrated Easter together with great joy and celebration. All of us running to and sometimes running from resurrection and running from to and from resurrection. 11 months. 11 months. This Sunday and through the month of May, we begin this new series. You've begun to hear us Talk about it, seen it, the body. At the end of this series, which will take us right up to the end of May, it will be 12 months, one year. No one plans that. <laughs> no one planned that, right? And yet here we are at this point in this journey as I reflect upon 
uh, the gift of being with you over this period of time and the gift of being invited to stand in this moment with you in this next series, 12 months in this journey together. Before we began worship today, um, I gathered with uh, elders and ministry staff in the chapel. I don't know if you know that, just over on the other side of this wall, there's a chapel. It's really nice. Beautiful ceiling. And we gathered in there um, to pray. Um, And I think that's important for you to know. You wouldn't, probably wouldn't know that otherwise, unless I told you, unless you happened to walk by and peeked in and what are they doing in there? We gathered to pray and Really, it's a continuation of prayer that they have taken up for some time now. Uh, You remember that they made an announcement uh, not 40 days ago, but 40 plus days ago, probably now it's more like 80 days ago, um, that that they were more intentionally turning their own attention to study reflection prayer on this topic. And um, I would say that their prayer and their reflection around this stretches back even beyond that well beyond that. Uh, For some time carrying this this thought, not that it has consumed them in any kind of way, but knowing that there's some responsibility as a leader in the church's life, a shepherd over the church's body to think on these things, to seek God's wisdom in these things. And so all of that, this moment in the chapel, praying together, let me ask you, I think as, as Ricky and I were talking, it dawned on me, how many of you, when you heard the announcement, or maybe you saw in the bulletin or an email that this new series was beginning called The Body, how many of you knew, I mean, be honest now, that, that this was going to be a series of sermons that invited us to think about how uh, the church shares its life together and participates in relationship to gender? Males and females and how they do or don't participate in the life of the church. How many of you knew that this series was about that? Uh, Other than, I mean, I was, uh, Ricky was, you know, Ricky's good to, um, he likes to poke fun at you and tease you. So this last week he was sarcastically saying, hey, yeah, nice one um, slipping in this uh, series about gender in the life of the church by just calling it the body. And I thought to myself, oh, people may actually be confused about that. But it is a series, as we said in, in, in this discussion. It is a series about our life together in the body of, the Christ, body of Christ. And, and in anything we might discuss about who we are and what we do and um, discerning God's presence and leading, um, it's a part of the fabric of what we believe, who, who we believe we are, what we believe God is doing in our midst, right? So it is both things. And I would say it is maybe first and foremost about what is it that makes us connected to each other? What is it that will sustain us? What is it that enables us to ask questions and to wrestle with practices What is it that helps us to navigate that, that holds us together? And it is our life together in the body of Christ. This series is a journey to think on what that means and how we share in identity, in this identity as the body of Christ, both male and female in the body of Christ. 
And so I just want to take just a minute and pause for a moment and acknowledge that introducing this makes us anxious. Yes? I think part of maybe the role of preaching in a moment like this is to name what's being unsaid. We'd rather just not. Right? Seems controversial. People disagree. They will disagree. They'll be on all different places on the spectrum. And we're anxious. So let's get that out on the table. Can we, can we bring that to the foot of the cross and lay it there too? Man, I don't know what this is going to mean. What decisions are going to be made? I don't know what I think about them. I'm anxious. We are anxious, right? We are, frankly, we are tired. It's been a long slog these last few years, <laughs> right? We've wrestled with the disruption of our lives, and in some cases, you know, terrible loss, sickness. We're on the other side of that, it feels like, a little bit, and trying to just catch our breath, and now we're going to talk about this. We feel some of that too, right? The tension. And then and our world seems so incredibly polarized anyway, increasingly, maybe in ways like, like we haven't experienced before. We're in the public sphere of things, and any deliberation on our common life, it just seems like you're either this way or this way, and there's no in-between and no middle ground, and people are going to be polarized. And that's bad, and it feels bad, and we don't know how to have conversations like this in the public sphere anyway. So, here we are. I think it's important to just say all those things in in that our past experience tells us that these kinds of conversations, these kind of points in a congregation's life, often lead people to feel like, I just don't think I can belong anymore, and I'm going to go elsewhere. That happens. We've seen it happen before. And for some of you, you may have even experienced it here before as I understand it. It's not so much that we're talking about this or what might be decided or not. It's, the, it's, it's this deep sense, this pain of losing relationship. Right? Don't want that. Don't want that. We come to this moment apprehensive, fearful, anxious. Some of you didn't know. You're like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that's what was going to happen this morning. And now he's made me really fearful and anxious and apprehensive. And, um, but I do think some of that, I'm just trying to say what I think is beneath the surface a little bit, right? Do you, you follow me? I'm trying to read you a little bit, read the room a little bit. I, I want to uh, invite you to a reframe. Um, as I said, to hold that anxiety maybe a little more loosely because 
When we're anxious, we tighten up. And, and the more anxious we get, the more we tighten up. And, and so I'm, I'm inviting us to hold our anxiety a little more loosely and perhaps even to let some of that, you know, at least as much as we can to let that go. And I'm inviting us to reframe this, not as something uh, over these next few weeks, oh my goodness, this is going to last for, the, for another five weeks, and I'm going to dread this. It's going to be so hard. Rather than thinking of it that way, I want to invite you to reframe this. At least let's try to reframe this together as something about which we are not so much anxious or apprehensive, but something about which we might be expectant. And I'm not talking about any particular conclusion. Whether we change what we do and how we do it in regards to the participation of men and women in the life of the church in, in many different ways, but that rather than being expectant, we I mean anxious, we create some space to be expectant. And I want to talk a lot about what that might look like. Some of this will fall out along generational lines, will it not? Um, my guess is that for people who are younger, not, um, I'm not speaking exclusively, but for many people who are younger, not all of them, this will be a conversation that's like, okay, what's the big deal? It's, you know, this is okay. But for others of us, perhaps, this will be, oh no, this just, there's so much that weight that's carried with this. And it's not just an, an older generation, it's the church spans many generations, but it's also the generations that's gone before us. You know, parents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents, and there's a whole legacy and history about what it means to be the body of Christ and to share this journey as the church of Jesus Christ. I, I think I find myself, maybe everybody says this, but I, I feel like I'm standing in the in-between generation. My daughters are grown, and have children, so I have grandchildren. My parents, of course, are the generation ahead of me, and, and we're juggling all of that, right? I, I hold my grandkids, and I sit with my parents and gain as parents, and we're, we're all in very close proximity, most of us. <laughs> and maybe for us in the life of the church, there's some of that feeling, too, that when we talk about this, is that we sit between generations, and we hold the tension of that. What will they think, or what would they have thought, or so on and so forth, and then we're also turning back to say, but I'm also looking at this, this whole generation that's coming behind us. I want us to be expected in that moment. So, um, I don't want these sermons to get very lengthy. It's very possible that unpacking all of this is going to take some time, and, and each week I want to be respectful of your time. But I want to give you some things to, to think about. And really this morning, more than anything else, I want to invite you on this journey. And I want to invite us to take this journey together, but in a particular kind of way. All right? As I mentioned to Ricky, I'd like to offer us some guideposts for the journey. Um, so this isn't so much about now we're on the journey, although we kind of are, but it's about, okay, what do we need? How do we navigate the journey together? And my sense is that most churches don't really take enough time, at least 
up front to kind of remember some things and set some, some healthy boundaries and sort of ground rules for how we're going to think about this and, and really allow the Spirit and the Word of God to provide us those guideposts for a journey in which we're talking about uh, and having conversations like this. So, uh, let me begin by doing this. I want to offer you a very clear description. You know, okay, you're, you're, he keeps using this language of we're going on a journey together. Let me offer, what, what kind of journey is that? What, so, here, I, I've tried to write it out for you. You'll see it on the screen. And I'm not sure, it might be helpful for us to even, I don't know, outside of this to, to be able to, people to have access to the, what we're going to present today in our slides. And so we can talk about that. But this is a journey of discernment. Discernment, which positions this conversation is in an open way. We are, um, we are going to be open to discerning together the the leading of God through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. Discernment. So, the discernment is to discover more fully who we are as ones created in the image of God, male and female, redeemed by Jesus, and filled with the gift of the Spirit. You'll see the italicized words. Can you make those out there? Created by God, male and female. We're different. God created us male and female, redeemed, all of us redeemed by Jesus. All of us filled with the Spirit of God as God's gift to us. To discover our life together in the body of Christ. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? So this is just me trying to state and put in print more clearly for us how the journey we're trying to navigate together. So I hope that's helpful. You heard me say it, and, and um, I'll try, we'll try to remind ourselves of this along the way, but just hearing me say it and kind of taking it in, sometimes it's better to, to just write it down, and we'll use that to, to remind us of what we're trying to do here, right? Uh, so so that's, the, that's the first thing. We're going to examine this together. It's a journey of reflection, and it's a journey of discernment. And next, I want to say, I want to offer... Uh, some guideposts, some specific guideposts for the journey, five of them to be specific. So the first guidepost is this. this. In this journey, we seek God's presence and leading. Now, we often talk about how we acknowledge God's presence in our midst. We desire God's presence in our midst. But that presence in our midst, midst is for God's leading. Right? Don't we want this more than anything else? We desire to be with God, to be near to God, to, to know God's presence when we assemble here in this place, when we move out of this place. We are the people of God. We seek God. Um, and it's always been true. You know, when the people of God up and walked out of Egypt and into a new future with hope, Moses had them look up. And Moses called them to see the presence of God before them in a tangible form that, that could draw them forward. You remember that? It was a pillar of yeah, fire by night and a pillar of 
cloud by day. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. They're traveling, they're moving, he's leading them somewhere. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. It's God's presence in the midst before the people of God to lead them forward. And this is what we see. This is the first thing. If we miss this, we're misguided. Regardless of the topic, can we say together, we seek God's presence and we embrace God's leading and we will let God lead? Okay, a, a couple more. When they move forward into that future, Moses was apprehensive apprehensive. He said this. He said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. Hear that. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us into this new future, whatever it might be. And Moses desperately wanted to see God's face, to know God's presence. And so God said, no, I can't, you cannot look on my face. But he takes Moses and he hides him in the cleft of a rock. And he says, I'll pass by and put my hand over the cleft in the rock. And as I pass by, I'll remove my hand and you'll see my glory. But you'll only see the, uh, the, me from the back. Then the Lord said, you can see on the screen. There's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until you pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Isn't it interesting? I read this and sat with it for a while and thought, isn't it interesting that God says, you'll see my back? I think that's significant. Why? Because that means that God's in front of us. And God's leading us. When Joshua called the people of God right up to the banks of the promised land to prepare for God's new future that God was going to give them in a new place, the instruction was to take the ark and have the people follow the ark because the ark is what? You know what's on top of the ark? It's God's seat. So when the ark moves out, that's God moving out in front of you. Follow God when he moves out. Only, get this, then you will know which way to go. Since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 3,000 feet. That's a translation, of course. 3,000 feet. How, how many football fields is that? Three football fields? 30 football fields? It's 30 football fields. No? 3,000 feet is 300 yards. Or I'm doing math on the fly. It's a lot of football fields. It's... My point is, it's way off in the distance, isn't it? Is it somebody, somebody figure this out? We're already having our first disagreement. <laughs> it's about how many football fields they were to stay behind. This is Texas. Um, we're going to agree on 10 football. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of space. It's a lot of space. Isn't that curious? 
When the ark moves out, God's leading you, follow it. But wait a minute, stay back 3,000 feet. Seems like a little weird detail, but why? Why do you think that is? I sat with this one for a while too. I think because, you know what? When God begins to lead us, we follow and we're following God and then we think we understand exactly where God is going. And so now we're ready to go. And we rush up, right up behind God. And the next thing, yep, we're with you, God. We know exactly where you're going, God. And the next thing you know, we're past him. Let God lead. Uh, so... I'm inviting us to commit. Can we agree? If nothing else, we seek God's presence and leading, believing that God is with us and that this is true. This is what we are always doing. This kind of conversation is not an out of the, oh, oh my, it's this thing that happens every once in a while. And it's, no, it's what the people of God do. We stop. We ask God to lead us forward. We try and discern what that means. We seek God's presence and leading. We don't try and rush past him. Amen? So when the church says amen, they agree with you. Amen. They agree with God or some. Guidepost number two. We confess our humanity and humility. If, if we are seeking the presence of God, guess what that means when you come into the presence of God? Isaiah said this, you'll see the words on the screen. The year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, high and lifted up. Nope, that's the wrong one. We're looking for Isaiah 6. <coughs> Team. Guidepost 2, Isaiah 6. Is it not there? Okay, we may not have that one. So listen, Isaiah 6, you can look in your Bible. It's there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And there's this description of the throne room of God, and there are the four living creatures in Isaiah 6 that surround the throne, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was. All of that that we hear in Revelation actually was in Isaiah, holy. And then it says that Isaiah, in the presence of God, fell down on his face before God, and said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. If we're seeking the presence of God, and we find ourselves in the presence of God, guess what? That's the posture. It's humility. We are human. We are fragile. We are broken. It happened for Peter too. Remember there was that moment when Peter was in the boat and, and Jesus performs this miracle on the waters. It's about a catch of fish. And, and Peter looked up and realized that that was Jesus over there. And his words, now we do have this one in Luke 5. His words were, go away from me, Lord. I'm unworthy. When you recognize you're in the presence of God, in the power of God, in the leading of God, the response isn't, okay, me and God are going to... The response is to fall down in humility. 
If we are truly seeking the presence of God, the face of God in this journey, the posture of God-seekers is humility. We are broken. Our understanding is limited. We see through a glass dimly, Paul says now. You see through a glass dimly. I see through a glass dimly. And I've been peering through the glass a long time. A lot of degrees of glass peering. Ask my wife. She teased me for a long time. I was just a collector of theology degrees. I don't see clearly. I don't have it all figured out. You don't either. None of us do. We see through a glass dimly. The big word for this is epistemic humility. (laughs) We are fundamentally humble. We hold loosely what we think we know. And though we may confess our faith, we confess it in such a way that says, but God, your ways are perfect and we seek to know them. But we see through a glass dimly. In our own heritage in Churches of Christ, our appeal was to invite people alongside of us to take up scripture and examine it again and again and again. And where it shows us, we said to other people out there, where it shows us something different than what we thought, to leave that behind and follow scripture. Yes? That's what we said to everybody else. We have a hard time saying that to ourselves. This is what we're saying to ourselves. We will over and over come back to scripture, open it again, seek to discern what it's saying, and be willing to follow where it leads us. We confess our humanity with humility. We seek God's presence. We're humble. Guidepost number three, really important one. We love each other above all else. Man, that's so important. We love each other above all else. The mark of Jesus' followers was and is their love for each other. How will they know you? They'll see how, how much you love each other. You'll demonstrate my life, Jesus says, in the way you love each other. We used to sing, we are one in the spirit, we are one in the Lord. Remember that song we used to sing? We are one in the spirit, we are one in the Lord. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Some of the most toxic, hurtful relationships you know where they get played out too many times in church? This is an important one. Jesus' prayer for his disciples, this is John 15, you go back and read the whole chapter. Jesus' prayer for disciples was that they would be one, that they would be one. That just as he was in the Father and the Father was with him, that they, just as they were one, that 
you too would be one and that the world would see God because of the way you love each other and the way that you stay together. And in fact, when Jesus is writing all this, I mean, look, he's right up to the edge of this whole thing coming apart. They're going to crucify him. And these people are going to have to find their way. And, and these little communities of unity and love will spring up everywhere in these little places around the world. And the power of their witness about who God is and what God is up to. You know what it would be? Not their words. The power of their witness would be their common life. How they loved each other. And from Pentecost forward, remember at Pentecost, when the Spirit comes after the death and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, it says that those who are gathered there at Pentecost were the most diverse group of people you could imagine. Jew and Gentile and diverse. And the power of the movement would ride forward on the ability of people diverse in person and in thought to live in unity and display the love of God. This is Paul's plea to these little churches he's nurturing. For him, it's not so much about orthodoxy, that just means right doctrine, as it is orthopraxy, which means right practice. Can you live in love? So when he gets to Philippi, or writes to this church in Philippi that he loves so dearly, He's calling them to mind the same thing, to live in this way. And he, you, get, you really have to get to the end of it and then read back through it when he calls out Yodia and Syntyche. I mentioned this not too long ago, a few weeks ago. In the church in Philippi. And he says, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to agree with each other. They disagree. It's fracturing the life of that little church. I urge you to mind the same thing. And then back in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's calling them, I urge you to mind the same thing. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, who being in very nature God, did not try and lord that over anyone, but emptied himself. You should, Yodia, Syntyche, and people who agree with Yodia and Syntyche, calls them back to the foot of the cross to love each other, regardless of whether they agree or disagree. It was not their option in Philippi or in any of those early Christian communities. If we hold them up as a model at all, know this. It was not an option that you were going to have in Philippi, the church of Yodia and the church of Syntyche. Nor was it an option that some of the people who followed Yodia were going to leave that church in Philippi and go to another one across town. It wasn't an option. He's a little fired up now. I, it's just because it pains me to see how rather than following that cue, we are more like the consumer culture of our age that just says there's any number of choices out here I can make for myself. There's something more going on here. 
right? To love each other through differences and disagreement. It's, it's not about what we haven't done that we might now do, but it's also about what we haven't done and haven't done and haven't done, and we're gonna disagree on things. Right now in this room, we disagree on things. We interpret things differently. We have different experiences, different backgrounds, and if every one of those things become a test of whether I will love you and I will fight through something that may be very difficult for me and that I don't understand and don't agree with, but I choose orthopraxy over that, I choose the way of the cross over that, I think is the call. So that's guidepost number three. And I told you, this is getting really long. Number, I'm going to hit number four and five. Guidepost number four. We seek wisdom by the word of God. The word of God is living and active. This is Hebrew 4. You remember that sharper than every two-edged sword. You can read the rest of it there. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the Lord. It's living and active in it's at the center of our life, our pursuit of God's presence and leading our humility about ourselves, our love for each other leads us, because of those things, to come back to Scripture over and over again, allowing it to speak as a living word. It is not dead and settled. We take up the word of God in every time and place. I was reminded this last week, I was uh, at a board retreat, Friday, Saturday, and um, it was a presentation that kind of reminded us all of sort of the origins, the history of our tradition in churches of, of, of churches of Christ in America. You know, the movement's broader than just America, but we tend to think it's just in America. <laughs> but um, that the appeal was Right? We, that, for Stone in a more experiential, expressive side of the movement, or Campbell in a more intellectual side of the movement, the appeal was to come back to Scripture. Take it up in this moment. What does it mean now? In the early 1800s, in the dawn of the American experiment, in the midst of all, to take it up new again and again and again. And we could stretch that back, right? What does it mean in any place, looking back, for the people of God to take up the word of God and say, what does this mean now? What does it mean here? That's not being unfaithful to Scripture, to question it, or perhaps even to understand it differently than you did before. That is not being unfaithful to Scripture, that's being faithful to Scripture. Right? We are human, our understanding is limited, we are moving through time and place, history and cultures. Christianity has not just existed in American culture. And we stand in that moment confessionally 
surrendering ourselves to, the, to God and the will of God, given the gift of the Spirit, to say, what does this mean now? Okay, um, there's more to say here, and we will. But I think maybe we could just say that we agree that while God's word never changes, we do. You do. Who you are? Man, I am not, I have a 17-year-old son. His, his sisters are 10 and 12 years older than him. When they were his age, I was a different person. They point that out to me. <laughs> we change. What we understand, we learn, we grow, we experience, we feel, we grieve, we rejoice. While the word of God changes, we do, and we are drawing the word of God forward, seeking faithfully to hold it in our own time and place, take it up new to discover what it means now, and that allows it to be a living word, an active word. It is to take Scripture more seriously, not less seriously, to confront our assumptions about it. In the churches of Christ, I said earlier that I grew up in, our plea was to come to Scripture, seek its truth, and abandon ourselves in the truth that we find. I love that. I wouldn't trade that for anything. And so I'm going to say the guidepost number four to seek God's wisdom by the word of God. Maybe the difference with that word wisdom um, is the difference between uh, understanding scripture as a document that provides doctrine and scripture as an invitation to understand God's presence and leading. Those are different things. Okay, fifth one, last one. Um, we find our place at the table. Come back to the table. No matter what, we come back to the table. God invites us there. Jesus makes room for us there. We find our place back at the table. We have a long dining room table. A few of you have been to visit our house, and I hope and wish that more of you can. My wife wanted a long, narrow dining room table. Partly because of the shape of the room, but also so that lots of people could get around it. And, and then we found this song, I don't know if you've heard it, that the lyrics go, I want a house with a crowded table. Um, this is a house with a table around which we all gather. And look, you're going to hear, uh, um, as we gather around the table, you're going to see these things as reminders. Sometimes, you know, we project images on a screen, and that's good. I call them they're the flat Stanley images because they're not three-dimensional. They're kind of flat up there. And then sometimes it's good for them to be three-dimensional, right? Look, we come to this table seeking God's presence and leading, confessing our brokenness and humility, right? 
We come to this table joined together by God, regardless of what's come before or what lies ahead, we're coming back to this table. We're coming back to this table. We're coming back to this table. And the living word of God is the bread and the cup, broken, poured out. And I've invited those who lead, and Ricky's going to come, we're going to, and lead our time at the table today to remind us of these things. And I won't say it every time, Ricky, but you, oh, Chad is. Chad? Chad. Okay. I don't know what Chad's going to say. But, but what I want you to know is um, when we come to receive this word, this bread broken, we are receiving it as a gift, yes? The great thanksgiving, great gratitude. God, you've given yourself, you've emptied, you've broken yourself for us. And when we take the bread, we are receiving it as a gift. But you know what else we are doing? Just as Jesus said to those first disciples who gathered with him around the table in the upper room, when you take this, you are saying you will be broken and given to for each other. Isn't that beautiful? You will be broken and given to for the sake of each other. This is who you are. And when you take this cup, and you remember the blood of Christ poured out, emptied for, for you and for the sake of the world, you are receiving that as a gift, the blood of Christ for you. But when you take that cup, and then you share it with each other, you are saying to each other, that you will be poured out and emptied too for the sake of each other. This is why we come back to the table over and over and over again. And sometimes we come to the table and we need each other at the table because the world has beat us up. And because we're frail, we are human and our bodies get sick and broken and people suffer and people die and we bring all that to the table and we remember these things and we pour ourselves out for each other, the body. And sometimes we come with great joy and we gather around these things and we celebrate at this table. We, we pour out our joy for each other. We embrace each other and we hold each other. That's what the table is. And other times we come to the table and we're disoriented because we're, we're thinking about things that are difficult to think about. And when that happens, guess what? We come back to the table together. And we love each other. And we pour ourselves out for each other. And we hold each other. Right? We are the body of Christ. That's who we are. We seek God's presence and leading. We humble ourselves. We realize the limits of our own understanding. We seek to understand better and we seek to love each other more deeply and fully. We seek to hold God's word faithfully in our own time and place. And then we bring it all to the table. We bring it all right here. This is the journey we share. 
And this is the prayer that we pray. Would you bow with me? Oh God, lead us forward in your power, in your holiness, in your goodness, in your purity, in your grace, and in your truth. Be present to us to lead us forward. Receive us in the limits of our own humanity and our brokenness and frailty and limited understanding. Help us to hold that before you confessionally and before each other confessionally. And oh God, help us by your mercies to love each other above all else. To center ourselves in your word, allowing it to be alive and vibrant, creating and recreating. And join us together at this table where we receive the gift of Jesus and offer ourselves to each other. In his name and in his way, we pray through Jesus. Amen.